Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Well, that's what we want God to do to us. In the end, we want God, if we should live long enough, we want Him to bless us. That there would be fruit from our labor in this life. That when we think about this life, we don't think about the vacations and the fine things that we've been privileged to enjoy, but we reflect on how we have served the Lord. This is Cross Reference Radio with our pastor and teacher, Rick Gaston. Rick is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville. Pastor Rick is currently teaching through the book of Genesis. Please stay with us after today's message to hear more information about Cross Reference Radio, specifically how you can get a free copy of this teaching. But for now, let's join Pastor Rick in the book of Genesis chapter 24 as he begins his message, Abraham's Unnamed Servant. Genesis chapter 24, verse 30. It says, And there he stood by the camels at the well. That's a snapshot. That's a picture of what's going on, a moment of this great work of God, presence of God, doing what he does like no other. And I think that uh, most of you know this is the story of Abraham sending his servant to find a bride for Isaac. And This picture here in verse 30, I think, is fitting because a well, a water well, that is, spoke of Isaac as altars would speak of Abraham. As we study the life of Abraham, he's always building an altar and worshiping God. As we study the life of Isaac, he's always digging a well and and bringing water, which is life in that world, which is life anywhere in the world. And so, Uh, Again, also fitting to start off a consideration about this servant as he stood by the camels at the well. And so my outline will run this way. We'll speak about the story, that is, its background. We'll discuss the servant and his success. And then the symbolisms and types that are involved in this 24th chapter. And so who is the man? And why is he by the well? Well, historically... To view this section of scripture historically, it is the story of Abraham sending out his oldest servant hundreds of miles away, perhaps a month's journey to his destination and a month's journey back to fetch a bride for Isaac. Isaac was content to allow his father to choose for him his wife. (laughs) Don't try that here. I'm not saying that's bad or good. I am only saying that that culturally that was practiced and it often worked out well. In this culture that we have today, it is not practiced and marriages often do not work so well. So you can take it from there. But this is a story of marriage in this 24th chapter. It is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis and I, don't, I think that, that, that it is on purpose that it so much is devoted to this story of marriage, not only between a man and a woman, as sanctified as that is, but more so uh, Christ and his church. That is the holy union that we Christians are supposed to be very concerned with. 
And as we go through the story, we look at the faces of the people and we let them tell the story by themselves. There's really not much commentary to make except for the historical events and the types that are here because the story gives it to us. And yet the Holy Spirit is able to, to still squeeze out the applications necessary to keep us as Christians running as we ought to run servants of God. So that is it historically, but spiritually, it is one of the greatest stories of servanthood in all the scripture. It illustrates the role of the Holy Spirit as that member of the Trinity that is bringing the believer to Christ. It illustrates the ideal way to serve the Father of Jesus Christ, and that is particularly important to us. It's important that we see both of them, not one at the cost of of the other. Now, this is, this is background. We're going to move into the servant himself in a minute. So we briefly discuss this section historically and spiritually and symbolically. We've mentioned the Holy Spirit, but also in the types that are found in this section, we have the Trinity, that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each one is seen in the characters working through this chapter. Abraham is the father in type. Isaac is the son, the servant, the unnamed servant is the Holy Spirit. And then there is the church, which is Rebekah. And then there is Laban, who is the carnal character in the story. And then there are those on the outside who are also in the house of Laban. And I think that that is uh, very helpful for all of us to see how uh, our God works in our lives and in every time in history, is working towards this one goal to get us into heaven. This is, this is important. We view death as our enemy. The Bible says that. It is because of the pain that it causes to us right now. And oftentimes, when God allows death, we are perplexed as to why he would let this happen. From our end, it is, God, why are you allowing this? But from God's end is if you knew where I am bringing your loved one to, you'd be fussing about why I haven't done it sooner. And so to constantly keep before us, God's perspective is healthy to our faith. And that is this servant. The whole time he keeps Abraham's perspective before him and he stays out of trouble and he accomplishes his goal. And so our text finds the servant in the midst of divine activity. And so again, reading, reading it, it says, and there he stood by the camels at the well. He's in the midst of divine work. God is doing something. We know this because we've read the story, but he didn't know it as he's doing it. He's just being faithful. He's trusting in the Lord, even though he had moments of doubt himself, but Abraham was there to help him with it. This servant is Abraham's go-to man for Abraham's final move concerning his most prized earthly relationship, Isaac. Sarah has gone. She is no longer here. She is with the Lord. Abraham is looking to find a bride for his Isaac, and he wants it to be a masterpiece. He is determined to have this be Perfect. He is old now, Abraham is, and he has been blessed. 
yet he knows that he is to prepare himself. And so look at verse 1 of Genesis 24, and there we read, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Well, that's what we want God to do to us. In the end, we want God, if we should live long enough, we want him to bless us, that there would be fruit from our labor in this life, that when we think about this life, we don't think about the vacations and the fine things that we've been privileged to enjoy, but we reflect on how we have served the Lord, the people who have served us and been kind to us, the people who we have been kind to ourselves. And so the servant is entrusted with this task, and 14 times in this chapter, of the 15 times the word servant shows up, 14 of them are applied to him. Now, there are going to be a few of these. Uh, there are, uh, well, wait, I'll, I'll wait until we get to them, but uh, this is the first one we come to, that he is indeed clearly presented as a servant. And the scripture has it so many, said so many times that it does not want us to lose sight of this. It wants us to learn as to why there is such an emphasis placed on this man in the midst of this story, even though he is not the hero of the story. But he's the centerpiece of it. As mentioned, much to learn. He remains unnamed throughout because the story is not about him. And yet you cannot miss him. And that's how it is to be in our Christian lives. It's not about us. It's about Christ. Yet we're, we're supposed to be uh, this light that is set on a, the hillside. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. That is supposed to be the church. We are a part of that experience. If you are hiding your Christianity, you're cheating those around you, you're cheating the Lord, you're cheating yourself. We've not become lights in this world to be put out. We have been light, made lights in this world to shine. And now we come to an interesting part of this as we're discussing this servant. In Genesis chapter 15, in the second chapter, we read of another servant of Abraham. And there it is Eliezer of Damascus. And so the question is, is this unnamed servant that servant who Abraham loved so much that he was going to bequeath all of his earthly possessions to? And God said, no, it's not going to be Eliezer of Damascus. It's going to be your son Isaac. But it does introduce to us this character into the camp of Abraham. But there are two reasons why I do not believe that this servant, this oldest servant, as he is presented, we'll get to that in a moment. There is two reasons why I do not believe this is Eliezer of Damascus. The first one is this is 52 years later. This is 52 years after the scene in Genesis chapter 15. Isaac is now 40 years old. Ishmael is born. He's 53 years old there, almost 53 years old or thereabout. That is the first reason why I think this eliminates Eliezer from this difficult trip. The second one is that this man, Eliezer, evidently was an illustrious character. A figure such as him would have had his name gladly inserted into the story 
to lend power to the story. And yet, it is left out. It is left out because this is a different one. And we don't know who he is because we're not supposed to know who he is. Because it fits the type and it fits the lesson. The parabolic illustrations, the, il- the parallels that illustrate the work of the Holy Spirit and the parallels that illustrate the work of the servant in the power of the Holy Spirit. So his name is kept in the background so that in the foreground is that of the master, that of God, that of Jesus Christ. Now look with me at verses 2 and 3. And there we read, And Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had. Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Abraham is going to emphasize this with a fierce determination. Don't you take a bride from these Canaanites for my boy Isaac. In that is the New Testament doctrine, the commandment that Christians are not to be unevenly yoked with unbelievers. We are not to find a situation where a Christian marries an unbeliever. Now, it happens. Sometimes it happens in this sense. They're not saved when they get married and one of them becomes a Christian and then hopefully both of them. But other times it is just God has been put into the back seat. That individual may believe that God is the way, the truth, and the life, but not the master and Lord of their life. They know better. And, uh, you know, once you start giving your heart to the strange seductions and delicacies of the world, the battle is on. And you can lose if you're not careful, and you can lose much. And you're going to break the hearts of those around you, and you're going to, most of all, break the heart of the Lord. It's called in the New Testament, grieving of the Holy Spirit. And so we work hard to protect against this. And in spite of all that we do, all that we teach, there are still those who try to pull it off. And so this is not Eleazar. This is another servant. And he puts his hand behind the thigh of Abraham. It was a gesture to ensure that they would remember that moment that the covenant was made. It would take away from the servant. I, you know, I don't. I remember something about something, but I'm not sure. No, this is something that's a little weird, and it is. You know, I'm glad we don't do it anymore. But it was a powerful. And when we come to it in Scripture, in our culture, we we see it right away. In fact, in India, there is a, a gesture amongst some of those who live in India uh, when they are in the presence of. Uh, the patriarchs of their family. There's a gesture where they sort of bow and, and, and touch behind the legs of the one that they're showing respect to. And this likely required that the servant knelt down before Abraham and, and uh, sealed the agreement that he entered in. But there's still much to talk about how he went about this. He is the chief steward. Of all that Abraham has, even though, as we've discussed, I don't believe he is Eleazar. And he is one of the most attractive minor characters in all the Bible. That alone stands out to me because that means I can be a minor character who is outstanding. And you you cannot miss him. 
And you cannot miss any servant of God who assumes their role regardless of how minor it may be considered to be amongst men. And with his quiet good sense, his faith and his devotion to Abraham, we are drawn to him. Listen to what it says in Proverbs eighteen sixteen: A man's gifts make room for him and brings him before great men. That's this man. He is gifted, and God has brought him before Abraham, whom God has blessed more than anyone alive at this time. And yet this man is servant in Abraham's home, entrusted with everything that is dear to Abraham, from his worldly possessions to the future of his son. Outstanding. Remarkable. We watch him firmly seeing matters through with loyalty and success, which is supposed to say to us, loyalty and success, there's a concept. That's something we don't see today. We do see it sometimes, but it is not a dominant. uh, These are not dominant virtues in our society. People are loyal to Satan. They're loyal to themselves, if you can call it loyalty, but a sense of duty, a sense of victory. Victory is a scriptural idea. Right now, this is the church militant, but the time is coming when we will be the church victorious. We would have conquered. We would have ceased from all of our labors because of what God has promised, because what he is doing and what he has done and will do. We take this by faith, which will enter into the story. And so this servant has acquired insight into human nature as servants do who are entrusted with that which is in the hands of their masters. In other words, by being entrusted with this, he is getting experience, and the experience that he is getting is about people. And he's using this experience about people to better serve his master. That is what he exists for. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Genesis 24. Abraham says, But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And there again is the principle of being properly yoked with the people of God. And in in illustration, it has a historical meaning. That is what it literally meant when Abraham spoke it. And then it has an application in the New Testament. And that we see God said, you shall not take those outside of the blood of Christ to be your spouse, but those within the family of God. In verse 5, he continues, and the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which You came, and that's when Abraham sort of goes off. I told you, look at verse 6, but Abraham said, beware that you do not take my son back there. He'll say it again. He's driving that point home. Listen, I'm not playing with you. That's sort of a uh, conversation he's having with his oldest and most trusted servant. And so what we're also getting out of this, in addition to that he has this insight into human nature, you know, she might not want to come. We also see that it's still free will. She has a choice. She has a say-so. That almost gets lost as we begin to see Laban enter into the picture, but it's not. It's part of the story because it was part of the culture. She had every right to say, I will not go, just as unbelievers have every right to say to Jesus, I will not go, just as believers have every right to say, I will not go anymore, any farther, any longer, however you want to phrase it the servant brings up the possibility of failure. Abraham answers that possibility with faith. 
Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. That's Abraham's answer to doubt. The other one brings up possibilities. Abraham brings up faith. Does it win the servant? Does it change? Does it impact him? As Job says, how forceful are right words. Are these words right? Absolutely. By the time this story is over, he's going to be preaching those identical words to the household of Laban. He's going to be talking about faith and the angel of the Lord. And we're going to see just how much he learned from, a- from Abraham. And so we watch him carry out his word and his work before we even realize it. We're liking him. Before we even know what's going on as we're reading through this chapter, he becomes someone that we are paying attention to. Before we know about types, before we know about he is the Holy Spirit in type, before we know about he is the servant in the church in type, we are still attracted to him. Carries out his word and his work, as I mentioned, as a master servant. That's sort of an oxymoron. A servant's not the master, but he has mastered being a servant of Jehovah. He's not just Abraham's servant. Abraham's God is his God. And this empowers him to be this man, as our text says, and there he stood by the camels at the well. The whole time he's standing there, he's knowing God is unfolding the answer that his master sent him to get. That's faith. That's strength. This is something that is beautiful. We are educated by his textbook service, and we want it to be so because we know it's right. We know this is, yes, this is it. This is what I'm not finding in the workplace. This is what I'm not finding in the universities. This is what I'm not finding somewhere in life, but I'm finding it here in God's word. This is what I have been looking for, and I did not even know it until I've been exposed to it. I think many Christians need to hear everything I just said about service, but also what I'm about to say. He is a servant and a gentleman. How many times have you come across a Christian who is not a gentleman? How many times have they been quick to tell you that they're saved, that they go to church, that they are being used by God, but they're not a gentleman? He shows us a satisfying blend of dignity and humility as he moves from one part of that world to another part of that world, he never stops being the man that Abraham appointed him to be. I want God to say that of me. I want God to say, as you've moved through this life, everywhere that I have found you, you never stopped being the man I have been making you to be in Christ Jesus. That's what I want God to do for me. That's why I love this man. That's why I think all Christians should love this man, well-seasoned with wisdom and the execution of his task. How many Christians do you find that lacking in? They're not seasoned. They have no experience, yet they're quick to want to be the leader. They're quick to want to have a dominant position, a visible position, a say-so. Do not execute their task as they ought to do. We'll see him also moving through this 24th chapter, maybe not tonight, but in your own uh, reading time. Smoothing the way for all hands that are involved. 
He, he makes things happen that otherwise would not have happened because surprises have popped up, because resistance has surfaced. But he, he moves over those things. He answers the objections. And the ones that he cannot answer, he moves forward in spite of them, cautiously, but effectively. His handling of crafty Laban's antics is extraordinary and insightful. Turn with me to verse 55. Now, this is the latter part of the story. While he was by the well, Laban eventually comes out, brings him into the city, into his home. And after he closes the arrangement, solidifies the covenant that indeed Rebekah is going to be the wife of Isaac, Laban wants more time so he can work his con, so that he can be find the opportunity to be opportunistic. You've been listening to Cross Reference Radio, the daily radio ministry of Pastor Rick Gaston of Calvary Chapel in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Pastor Rick is teaching from God's Word each time you tune in. As we mentioned at the beginning of today's broadcast, this teaching is available free of charge at our website. Just visit crossreferenceradio.com. That's crossreferenceradio.com. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to the Cross Reference Radio podcast. Subscribing ensures that you stay current with all the latest teachings from Pastor Rick. You can do so at crossreferenceradio.com or search for Cross Reference Radio in your favorite podcast app store. That's all for today. Join Pastor Rick next time for more character studies right here on Cross Reference Radio. Cross Reference Radio.